0: Well, it's good to see everyone. We we're down to the faithful now—those who will come out in snow and ice. <laughs> Let's have a word of prayer, and we will begin. Our Father, we're grateful for the day. Uh, every day is your gift. The Scripture tells us, in you, we live and move and have our very being. You're closer than we can imagine. And so we thank you for that presence in our lives. We ask for that. We pray for your leading and for hearts that will be receptive to your leading and for hearts that will see opportunities and doors that you open. Uh, Father, we're grateful for the message of Romans, I ask your blessings and protection on our study this morning as we continue to look at this book. We know that a number are ill, father, some some very ill. Don Villalonga very ill right now. And each of us knows people who are not doing well. So we ask your blessings in their behalf as according to your will, physically and spiritually and emotionally. And we ask your blessings again in this uh, hour, in Jesus' name, Amen. All righty. So we uh, we stopped last week in Romans uh, four, verse eight, which is quite uh, quite an interesting verse. You know, we we humans, knowing that we uh, let's talk about Christian folks. Right now, we all know that we're unworthy of heaven. We know we are inconsistent in our living. Uh, we know our weaknesses and uh, tendencies. And how could God really welcome us into His presence? And then we we run into this. Uh, Chapters 3 and 4 of Romans where Paul is really laboring, especially in chapter 4, to get across the message that we are justified before God through faith. We talked about a couple of weeks ago the faith of Jesus and his Father who prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. He had never experienced separation from the Father. He had never experienced sin. He had never experienced death. All of those were totally against his very nature. And he prays to the Father, let this pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So he trusts the Father in Romans 3:22 says it's the faith of Jesus that his trust and obedience that allowed him to go to the cross, trusting the Father would take care of him through that. And because of his trust and obedience in the Father, that gives us the opportunity to have trust and obedience to Him in what He's done for us. That we trust that His blood is sufficient to forgive us. We trust that he's interceding now to keep us saved as believers. So Paul's gone through a lot of of time in chapter 4 talking about contrasting really the law system and the faith system, if you will. Uh, So there we come uh, to Romans 4 verse 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count His sin. David, that's a quote from David. David knew he had a lot of sin. But he refers, uh, he writes in Psalm 32 Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count, or some versions say impute his sin. Uh, What I started to say at the very beginning. Since we know our inconsistencies and our shortcomings we we struggle with am I intellectually we know the know it, but emotionally you'll hear the thoughts from time to time you know am i am I good enough to go to heaven am i going have I done enough to go to heaven no, 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 because it's not on us, it's on the work of Jesus at the cross, yet we feel um, a lot of times apprehensive and worry about that. And really that's a that's a lack of faith on our part when we worry about our salvation because Jesus has done all the work for us. All of it. And so uh, we've looked at some of those passages we'll look at more of them as we go. So verse 9 chapter 4 this uh This is a blessing, then, that not only the circumcised but the uncircumcised were all saved by faith, is Paul's argument. And he's dealing with a lot of Jewish thought, Jewish members in the church, and he deals with this again at length in Galatians how they wanted to bring certain aspects of Judaism into Christianity. And Paul says, Nope, 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 nope. That's not the new covenant, that's not how this works. And uh, Jeremiah speaks in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, that days are coming when there will be a new covenant, and instead of writing my commandments on stone, as was done under the uh, law of Moses, I will write my laws on their hearts. It will be by faith. It will be God's will and laws on our hearts. We want to follow Jesus. Uh, It's not something mechanical, but it's something inside. It's spiritual. uh, I'd like to notice verse 12 um, of chapter 4. He's talking about Abraham here in this whole section and he's talking about the circumcised and the uncircumcised and how that everyone is saved the same way by faith. And so he says in verse 12 that Basically, the key to being a child of Abraham in the last part of verse 12, well, let me just read the verse. To make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised fleshly, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham did when he was uncircumcised. To walk in the footsteps of faith. That's the whole point Paul's making in chapter 4 and chapter 3, that that there's a new way. It's not the old way, there's a new covenant. And the key is to walk in the footsteps of faith just like Abraham did. That's how we have a right relationship with the Father. And he says in verse 13, well, just a comment on that. Richard, I saw your hand. Okay. Okay.
1: It says... Basically, Abraham is the father of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Mm-hmm. Those who put their trust in Hashem and Yeshua. <coughs> then that means his covenant is still active. The covenant that Hashem made with Abraham is still active.
0: Mm, I would say no. Let's we'll come back to that, Jeff. All
1: later on in Galatians if you go ahead and get circumcised.
0: Uh, I don't think the covenant made with Abraham in terms of being right with God, no. Uh, Let me tell you why. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Let's just read some passages in Hebrews. Uh, I think the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of is replacing the old covenant. So I'm going to Hebrews chapter 6 or 7. Let me see. Chapter 7. Hebrews 7 Starting in verse 11, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, that's the old covenant, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, speaking of Jesus? For when, verse 12, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. Go to verse uh, 18 of chapter 7. On the one hand, the former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. Verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 6. Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more uh, excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion to look for a second. The days are coming, verse 8 declares the Lord I will establish a new covenant. Uh, 8, verse 13. In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? Fifteen. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, since a death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. And then, chapter ten, since the verse one, since the law has but was but has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never. By the same sacrifices continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Verse 8 of chapter 10. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Verse 9, second part. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And then verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So back to verse uh, several of those verses that we read there, and it sums it up, I think, in verse 9 of chapter 10. He does away with the first in order to establish the second.
1: Okay, but how do you then deal with this? When, I, when I, Hashem says to Abraham, you, uh, by you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's referring to Yeshua. Yes. If that covenant is eliminated, then Yeshua is eliminated.
0: No. Okay, Richard's saying
1: you can't, you can't eliminate one part of a covenant without eliminating the whole
0: thing. Well, here's what here's my response to that. Richard's saying if uh, God's promise to bring Jesus, if if we don't if we don't keep the whole old covenant.
1: Hold on, hold on. You're misinterpreting what I said. Okay. I said the covenant with Avraham. I didn't say with Israel. Okay. I said with Avraham, and you said it was gone.
0: The promise has been fulfilled. The promise. The covenant he made with Abraham was that he would give him this land that his children would inherit this land, and then he makes this promise, in you all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Speaking of Jesus. You will be the
1: father of many nations.
0: And he is.
1: And if he is, then that covenant is still active.
0: No, he's the father of many nations, but we just read where the covenant has been replaced. Well, secondarily, the father of many nations, all nations of the earth will be blessed through... Abraham, and we are.
1: Okay, then if Paul comes back and says, Abraham is the father of the circumcised and of the uncircumcised.
0: Jews and Gentiles.
1: How can that be if if his covenant is eliminated?
0: He is saying that Jews and Gentiles are all children of Abraham if they have faith. Because
1: Hashem said you will be the father of many nations.
0: Yes, and that happened. And so it continues. The covenant it
1: continues.
0: Okay. Well, we have different opinions. That's okay. And primarily here in Romans, he's talking about the law. Yes, Mike
1: in though it says that the law was to be a schoolmaster to get us
0: to Yeah, the law of Moses was the law of Moses. Now Richard's making a distinction between the law of Moses and the covenant with Abraham, that God said, I will bless all the nations of the world through you. Yes, and that happened. Sorry, that my main
1: question, yeah. The other one was, isn't it true that uh, Jewish Christians are worthy of special honor? Uh, you may have covered this already. I'm sorry if I missed it. Romans 3, where in the beginning of it, it talks about uh, what advantage is there in being a Jew much in every way. So it's because they were entrusted with the oracles of God.
0: Yeah. So the Jews had an advantage because they were given God's word. That's a huge advantage. Mo- the world didn't have that. So the Jews knew what God wanted. Now, they squandered it. They became unfaithful as a nation. They became idolatrous. And so read the Old Testament. Prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet says you need to repent turn back to God because the nation had left. But they had an advantage in the beginning because they had God's word. Absolutely. Oh, now are we getting it? I... I Are we getting that warning? I I think we're in the last days, but how long are the last days? So, you know, I don't know. But, DJ. I don't know if I can repeat that properly, but have we ever got it? Yeah. And that's the continual problem uh, that preachers across the nation are working on every Sunday to try to get their people to get it. Because we're very compromised and deluded as we accept the culture and we get used to what the culture's doing and we accept the culture's values rather than the Lord's values. Yeah, it's a work in progress for sure. Okay, so um, let me see. 13. Thank you, sir. Uh, so, the promise to Abraham that he would be the heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Well, Eric, good to see you back this morning. I, I trust Jack made it back to East Texas. I can't imagine he would go to East Texas instead of come and enjoy this this weather we're having. Jack's funny, isn't he? Um, so once again, a comparison: the Jews are keeping the law; they want to, the Judaizers want to continue in the law, and Paul is saying, "No, it's by faith; it's not." It's not by the written covenant. That has been replaced. Now, verse 14, he makes a very blunt and pointed statement. For if the adherents of the law are the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. He says, if we're justified by keeping the law, he said, you can forget this business of faith in Jesus. If righteousness comes through the law, faith is null and void. That's pretty blunt to those, especially folks who are moving from Judaism into Christianity and if they're wondering on what to do with bringing over that system into the new system. He says, you can't do it. They don't mix Essentially, and we'll get to the verses, but he says essentially that that old way of the Mosaical law is a law of works. Now, people had faith in trying to obey God, but to be justified, you had to do all of it. And if you didn't do it, you stood condemned. That's why I say law of works. Richard? What is
1: the difference between a Jew who, follow, who is supposed to follow? the Torah and can't and a truster in Yeshua who tries to follow the law and can't. What's the difference in the two?
0: The difference is in the way people are justified, one by works and one by faith.
1: Faith, Judaism is a faith, is a religion of faith in Hashem.
0: Intended to be that way.
1: That's what it was. That's the way it Hashem gave it to the Jews. If Hashem has given us Yeshua to have faith in Him, and we can't fulfill all of the laws over here, and you have a Jew who then professes to be a a believer in Yeshua, what's the difference?
0: What's the difference? Okay, Richard's saying, what's the difference in not being able to keep the law to be justified? And as believers in Jesus, we don't follow that perfectly either. So what's the difference between the two? And I'm saying the difference is the way justification occurs. Let me read Leviticus chapter 18, uh, verse 5. So this is going back to the law and justification. He says Leviticus 18:5, "You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he will live by them." So there's a condition. If you do them, you live. You will live because of doing them. It was a law of doing, but not so in faith. Going back to Romans chapter uh, 4 verse 8, we just read, David makes this clear. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. The faithful to God, through Jesus, their sins are not counted. We live in a state of grace, in a state of forgiveness. And so we are not held accountable for our imperfections.
1: Oh. Then we sin more so we can give more grace.
0: Paul says no.
1: He already already covered that.
0: Romans 6, he says no.
1: But there's still a basis of law that we have, even if we trust Hashem, Uh there's a basis of law that we have to try to follow. Yes. We just can't go out there, and it says in the next verse, where there is no law, there is no violation. So if there's no law, then we're not sinful. Yes. Only sin. Only law says we sin.
0: Yes. And so Jesus, when he comes, he takes the law of Moses, I'm going back to the Sermon on the Mount, and we've talked about this, he says, you, you know in the old law, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. He says, I say unto you, don't hate. He elevates the requirements of the law. We still have there is still a law written on our hearts about behavior, about what's right and wrong. The problem was through the old law, the Mosaical Law, no one could be justified because they couldn't keep it.
1: Well, what does it say in Jeremiah? It says, I have taken this that i put on stone and now I'm writing it on the heart. It's the same wording. It's, I've taken it from stone and I've written it on your hearts. It's not a new law. It's the same law that we have to follow. Don't steal. Don't
0: lie. But Jeremiah says, I will give you a new covenant, a new system for your justification. And instead of the way you act condemning or excusing you, it will be what's written on your heart. The new covenant that we read about in Hebrews The covenant under Jesus has replaced the way of justification.
1: Okay, if there's a covenant under Yeshua, then what are the laws?
0: The laws are don't lust, don't hate. All of the principles of the Old Testament have been upgraded into the new covenant. Same law. New laws, new covenants, upgraded. You can't can't kill, but he says, I don't want you to hate. So it's a better system. Better behavior. I want more of you.
1: I, I don't believe that Yeshua was upgrading anything. I think he was telling the people exactly what Hashem expected, not what they were considering. They said, oh, well, if I don't commit adultery, I'm okay. If I don't do the act, And Yeshua's saying, oh, there's a little bit more that my dad wants you to understand. It's how you look at it. It's don't kill. Well, I haven't killed anybody, but have you hated somebody? There's more to it that Hashem wanted. He was not... He was telling them exactly what his father expected of them, not Mm -hmm. He's He's doing it just like any rabbi would have done in his age. A rabbi would have come in and said, you have heard it said, but I say to you...
0: So do you not accept the passages in Hebrews that we read?
1: I very much do. I accept them all. But I don't... You know, where... If this... If if you're saying Yeshua brought a different law, then he's got two of them right there. Where did he say
0: anything about lying? Okay, about let's people? let's understand what we're talking about. We're talking about the method of justification, and it's no longer by following the written law it is now by justification by faith. that's what we're talking about okay
1: but there's the law is still the law
0: okay I, I appreciate your opinion. I think but the law
1: if the law has been done away with, then what is the new law
0: by the law no one is justified Well, Richard is saying this.
1: Then then you're condemned. Every one of us is condemned because none of us has done anything perfectly.
0: That's why we have grace. Under, under, the,
1: under Torah or what he's saying, under the new law which Yeshua brought.
0: I'm saying the I new covenant. See new I see a new covenant. He, he talks about a new covenant.
1: I see that it's by faith. It's trust in Hashem, who forgives us.
0: Okay, we agree with that, so let's move on. It is by faith. Um, Let's see where we were. I'm glad you're keeping up for me here, Richard, because it takes me a while to find it. Um, So I think the key thing that Paul is getting at here as he's talking to part of his audience that wants to keep the practices of the old covenant of the Mosaical covenant, wants to bring them into the Christian covenant, such as circumcision and maybe some other things, and so Paul is making the argument that no, uh, it's circumcision is or uncircumcision is not an issue in God's family. That's the point of talking about Abraham. When Abraham was uncircumcised, he was considered faithful. He was considered righteous. And the point he makes is it's because of his faith. So let's see. We get to 15 here. And it's really interesting. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So, the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So, Galatians 3, what is he saying about the law brings wrath? It brings punishment because they could not keep it. They didn't keep it. So, he writes in Galatians chapter 3 Cursed is everyone under the law who does not do the things written in the law. It was a law of works, of doing what's written. And if you didn't do what was written, he says, "That's you're cursed if you don't do what's written. All of it, James says. So by that, no one will be justified. Um, the law, he says in Galatians 3, verse 12, the law is not of faith. Galatians 3, 12. What does he mean by the law is not of faith? He means it's not a faith system. It was a works system. And they had to do it and do all of it, as he said in Leviticus, to be saved. And they they didn't, they couldn't, they didn't. So again, look with me in Acts chapter thirteen. Very, I think it's a very good point. I think it goes directly to what we're talking about here about being justified. Acts thirteen and uh, thirty-seven through thirty-nine. 13:37 through 39 He who God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you by him, verse 39. Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Couldn't be freed by your sin through the law of Moses. No. It it didn't have sufficient sacrifices. The blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient to remove sin. But by Jesus' crucifixion, by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So that's the point he's making there, that the law brings wrath. It brings punishment, because he didn't keep it. But under Christ, the point he's making, there's grace. Jesus' work pays for your sins and mine. It's the work of Jesus that pays for my imperfections. That's what forgives us. There was no similar sacrifice under the law of Moses that paid for their sins. It's Jesus. And that's the point he's making. And then he says in another interesting statement where there is no law, there is no transgression. What do you get? Comments on that. Where there's no law, there's no transgression. If
1: there's no law, there's no necessity for Yeshua. Because you have not sinned. If, you, if
0: there's nothing to say you sinned, you haven't sinned. Richard says that if, there's no, if there's no law, if there's nothing that tells you what sin is, what you should be doing, then there's no sin if there's no transgression. Jeff? There's still consequences. Still consequences of bad decisions. For
1: example, in the northern states, some of the states at one time, removed the speed of like
0: today there is there are consequences for doing something yeah still consequences here's my take on this and you can have your own obviously it's just an opinion where there is no law there is no transgression here's what I know in Romans 8 Verse 1, there is no condemnation in Christ. So we are not under a law of works. And there's no transgression. There is no condemnation in Christ. Do we mess up? Yep, we still sin, but it doesn't count against us. Romans 4, 8. Why does it not count against us? Because Jesus' sacrifice has paid for it.
1: If you're saying there's no law, how can you sin if there's no law? I agree. If you do stupid things, there are consequences. But if there's... Paul comes in and says, if it weren't for the law, I would not know what covetousness is. Right. So, if the law says there's nothing to covet, you you know, it it doesn't say... It doesn't say anything about coveting. Mm-hmm. So it's okay over here to want your wife your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's servant, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's car, your neighbor's dog, whatever. It's good. You haven't sinned. But since it says not to covet,
0: mm-hmm.
1: now you sin and now you need forgiveness.
0: Here's what I'm talking about. I believe he's talking about using, we're talking about justification before God. And I think in verse 15, he's talking about using the law of works as a means of justification.
1: But that's not what it says. Uh, It says, if there is no law.
0: The law of works.
1: No, it says, if there is no law. It doesn't specify.
0: Yeah, but in the context, Richard's saying it doesn't say law of works, but my point is, in the context of this whole chapter 4 and 3. All of the context is about the law of works. So if we're going to stay with the context, that applies here in verse 15. The context is justification. And you cannot use...
1: What what the law brings is punishment. This is a verse talking about law, not
0: works. Law of works brings punishment. Talking about law. Disagree. The law of works. And as a means for justification... And it brings punishment. The law of works. Keith. It
1: taught us. It became the schoolmaster of how we conduct our lives, even when the law was no longer the law that we could have. It taught us how we live
0: as a person. Yes. some difficult stuff to understand, didn't he? But my point in verse 15 of chapter 4, I believe he's talking about the law of works, of this whole chapter 4 and chapter 3, are the whole thing is about how are we justified before God. How are we justified? And he's contrasting, continually contrasting, the law of works and faith. And he says, you're not justified by the old covenant of works. You're justified by faith. So we get to verse 15. I think he's talking about the same thing, my opinion. Where there is no law, Christians, you're not under law of works for justification. You're not under that. We are under faith. And he says, there's no transgression under faith. There's no condemnation in Christ. Because Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. That's what I think he's talking about. You may have your own opinions. That's totally fine. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, The law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is a law of works. If you don't keep it perfectly, you die. Sin brings death. Romans 6 23, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of works, the law of sin and death, Romans 8 verse 2. So I believe what he's saying here is that as Christians we live in a state of grace. We live in a state of forgiveness. So he says in 1 John 1 and seven, eight, and nine, if you follow Christ, if you're a Christ follower, his blood continually forgives you of all sin. So he's saying there to understand that we still sin. First John chapter two says, don't say you don't sin, but we have an advocate with the father when you do. But if you're walking in the light as he is in the light, His blood keeps you cleansed from all sin. We live in a state of forgiveness and grace. We don't live in a state of law for justification, law of works, no. Where there is no law of works for justification, there's no sin because we live under grace. We're continually forgiven, 1 John chapter 1. Now, can you walk away from that? Certainly. There's plenty of passages in in Paul's writings. You can turn away from the grace. And if you do, then it's all on you. But if you're faithful, if you follow Jesus and you stay with Jesus, it's all on him. He paid for it. That's what's exciting. That is what the people that Paul is writing to, he wants them to understand. Jesus has paid your price. Uh, Then verse 16, he he goes on with his argument there in chapter 4. That's why it depends on grace. It depends on faith, rather. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. The promise couldn't be guaranteed if it it depended on our works and on our on our perfect living. But it doesn't depend on that. It depends on grace. And so the promises to us. What's the promise? The promise is forgiveness. The promise is resurrection. The promise is eternal life in Jesus. Those are the promises. The promises are, are not that we'll be rich, that we'll be trouble-free, that we'll have no illness. All of the material things that the world is wrapped up in, that's not the promise. Look at the first century Christians. They suffered terribly. Look at Paul in 2 Corinthians. He goes through a litany of things that he has suffered because he's a Christ follower. From shipwreck to beatings to imprisonment to hunger and starvation... I mean, it's a full list, but he says in First, in Second Corinthians, chapter one, all these ha- things happened to me so that I would would learn not to rely on myself but on God. So we hold to our promises: forgiveness, resurrection, eternal life. That's our promise as we live in this world. Jesus said, "In this world, you will have many tribulations." My kingdom is not of this world. I'm talking to you about the future and my promise to keep you forgiven, to raise you from the dead, and to give you eternal life. That where I am, there you may be also, in the church and in heaven as well. God's promises. And he says, it depends on faith. Chapter 16. In Galatians, where he's talking about us being children of God by faith, Galatians 3 27, 28, 29, you're children of God by faith, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, slave or free, male or female, but all are one in Christ. And then he says in verse 29, If you're in Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. If you're in Christ. That's God's promise. He goes into, uh, we're going to finish, we got two minutes to finish chapter 4, so we're going to do it. Verse 20. And I was just touching on this. He's talking about Abraham and all the things that he went through. And then in verse 20, He's no an man, and he's not had any kids yet, so he says in verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. And so I'd say to us, that's our challenge too, to not let problems cause us to waver in our faith. Problems with health, problems with business, problems in relationships, problems in our own inconsistencies, problems in how people are treating us, problems with people at church that don't treat me right. And that's going to happen. Do I turn away from the church because Richard Cox doesn't treat me right? Paul says, "Don't, don't waver because of that. Don't waver in your faith. Look, church is God's idea, not mine. It's God's idea. And so whether you have problems in church, quote unquote, in the community of Christ, or whether it's in the business world or in your family, he says don't let any of that cause you to waver in your faith. You've got great promises ahead of you if you stay in the faith. Forgiveness, resurrection, eternal life. Stay in the faith. Someone at church uh, lets you down, what am I to do? Well, first of all, I'm to forgive him. I let him down. What's he to do? He's to forgive me. He, I let him down again. What's he to do? Forgive me again. 490 times. Right? 70 times 7. 491, ooh, boom. No, the principle is to keep forgiving. That's the principle. So I have a choice to make. Do I do that or do I follow Jesus? Or do I follow myself?
1: But you forgot your responsibility.
0: I forgot my responsibility, Richard says. Go ahead. He's
1: supposed to forgive, but you're supposed to try and reconcile.
0: I'm to try to reconcile. God wants us to love each other, and we all, we fail miserably at doing it. We're all imperfect, but let's keep working on it, guys. Let's just keep working on it. I've got faults. You've got faults. Richard has one fault. Which Richard? <laughs> Richard. i <laughs> got And so we've all got faults. What do we do? We keep forgiving. We love each other. We keep forgiving. This is what God wants for us. Let's try chapter 5 Let's, uh, next week, Lord willing, okay? Chapter 5. Thank you.
1: Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs
0: as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.